today on Ag News Daily. Bacon flake gas. I always, I don't even look at the price, I just buy it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday, June 19th, 2017. I'm Mike Pearson, joined today by my co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Oh, not too bad, Mike. How about you? How was your weekend? Oh, weekend was good. Got uh, most of the hay brought back to the farm here. Kept the cows in, so that was exciting. And uh, mowed my lawn. How about you? I picked up sticks for about three hours on Saturday because of uh, bad weather we'd had. That's right. Yeah, you were down Mm -hmm. south. You had some of those severe storms roll through. Yep. I got a text message from my friend Frank Jones over by, uh, well, he's south of Atlantic, Iowa, near Cumberland. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was just south of, I I guess, some pretty severe straight-line winds. I don't know if they ever determined it was a tornado between Griswold and Lewis, Iowa, and uh, Mm -hmm. sent me a picture of a harvest store completely caved in and a tractor in two pieces out in the field. And man, it was uh, it was rough out there for a lot of folks. Yeah, southwest Iowa got hit pretty hard. And then I was, I think, Omaha, Bellevue and Papillion, which would be the eastern side of Omaha, got hit pretty hard, too. I was looking at the news the other day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we needed the rain, but we didn't need 100 plus mile an hour wind gusts. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We caught a little bit of hail here at Grinnell. Must have Mm. been Friday night. Maybe it was Thursday night. It was Mm -hmm. earlier this weekend, whenever that came through. Didn't do a lot of damage, but you noticed a lot of holes in uh, corn leaves and no property damage. And at this stage, I guess we'll just wait and see some tatters on the on the corn. Beans all looked okay, but. You dodged a bullet, it sounds like. Mm-hmm, definitely. Just well, really quick, too. Yeah. I don't know if my little brother even listens to the podcast every day, but today is his 21st birthday, so I want to give a shout-out to him. All right. Happy birthday. And his 21st birthday is today. So tonight, yes. you know, tomorrow, I guess, is the day we got to make sure he's still with us. Right. Mm-hmm. Good. I don't see him being doing too anything crazy. too crazy. No. Good. Sharp kid. Not following in his sister's footsteps, at least. All right. Well, you know, sometimes that uh, that skips. Uh, I was going to say skips a generation, <laughs> but it skips a child. You know, my mm-hmm. sisters were all way smarter than I was as well when it comes to that uh, <laughs> type of recreation. So, Delaney, other than it being, so it's Dalton's birthday, right? Yes. All yep. right. So other than being Dalton's birthday, what else do you have? <laughs> Um, today, U.S. Secretary Sonny Perdue hosted the inaugural meeting of the Interagency Task Force on Agriculture and Rural Prosperity, which was held there in D.C. He was joined by a few big names, including Ben Carson, Rick Perry, um, Mick Mulvaney, and really the task force works to improve the quality of life for people living in rural areas to develop a reliable workforce, spur innovation and technology, and roll back regulations to allow communities to grow and thrive. So I'm sure we'll be hearing more news about what specifically they discussed, but I believe the USDA on their Facebook and Twitter page went live during the event, so you can watch that for yourself if you're interested. All right. Yeah, be sure to tune into that. I bet it will be pretty exciting. Yeah, that's not probably the word I would have used. But 
but it does impact what we're doing out here yes, in it does. America. Speaking of things in D.C. that affect us here in the countryside, uh, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch, the Republican from Utah, came out today, and they are really pushing. It sounds like this week uh, both the Senate and the House are going to drive uh, sort of down the end of the court. I don't know. I'm not good with sports metaphors. They're really pushing tax reform this week. So Orrin Hatch has said he wants to get comments from stakeholders for tax reform recommendations. And uh, to do that, they have set up a website, excuse me, an email address. And it's uh, it's pretty clever. It's taxreform2017 at finance.senate.gov. And he says your comments will be confidential in order to guarantee privacy. But they're looking for how can we improve uh, tax relief to middle-class families, lower rates and broadening the tax base for businesses, and removing obstacles to saving and investment? And uh, I know for a lot of folks in agriculture, a key tool of being able to invest is being able to write off interest, which uh, the interest deduction was one of those things that was going to go away in the early tax reform proposals. So... If you want to make a comment, send it to taxreform2017 at finance.senate.gov. Okay. Other news coming out of the White House. U.S. Senator John Thune and Mike Rounds urged the U.S. Department of Agriculture to provide timely assistance to counties currently facing extreme drought conditions, uh, specifically talking about South and North Dakota are some areas of extreme concern. There are more than 484,000 CRP enrolled acres in South Dakota that are considered, quote unquote, environmentally sensitive by the USDA, uh, which doesn't normally allow these acres to be hayed or grazed under emergency conditions. But the two are the two senators are urging or requesting that the environmentally sensitive acres be opened for haying and grazing just like they were in the extreme drought of 2012. Gotcha. So I don't know what the USDA decision process is like before they can officially make that announcement, but gosh, they, it better be soon. From what I've yes. seen of the pastures up there, they are they are out of hay. Um, counties have to be determined eligible for immediate assistance under the Livestock Forage Program. Okay. So as soon as a, any part of the county is in... D3, which is the extreme drought category rating by the U.S. Drought Monitor System. They have to meet that approval by the Livestock Forage Program to meet, yeah, for them to make sure that they're meeting that D3 category. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that should be fairly cut and dried from the Mm -hmm. uh, past couple of drought monitors we've seen. Well, we've got news in China today. You know, Delaney, I am not a big fan of flying commercial. Right. I've got a friend here who's a pilot. I like to fly private because it gets you right where you need to go. It's a little more comfortable and you don't have to mess with the TSA. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. If you uh, can afford that, Mike. Well, you know, all the rest of the civilians have to fly in regular just economy. Well, yeah, I'm usually flying economy, but on those rare (laughs) occasions. But you know who isn't flying economy, Delaney? The president. Well, true, but also American hogs. Really? Yeah. Yesterday, China took delivery of uh, 1,012 American boars, and they arrived in a chartered plane at the uh, the capital of Hunan province, Changsha. 
And uh, they're going to be quarantined for 45 days before they are distributed to pig farms. So it looks like China's hog industry is still in aggressive growth mode. So they're going to use these 1,000 American boars plus some other imported boars from Denmark, Canada, and, uh, and us in the U.S., Basically, they want to shorten up the growing cycle of the Chinese pork, and they want to achieve a higher percentage of lean meat. So they're bringing in hogs. So if you are an American boar, you can get a chartered flight to China. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. I wondered what that cost to fly. I have no idea. Boars to China. I don't think I want to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got any other news for us? Yeah, I just had one other quick mention. So we've been talking a lot about dairy and the dairy industry because it's going to be a really big deal for a lot of people during the renegotiation of NAFTA. And last week, or no, maybe it was just this week, actually, Wally Smith, the president of the president of Dairy Farmers of Canada, said that although the U.S. has a high dairy um, population and high dairy production, Canada will not be backing off on their supply of dairy products. So Canada has also had a really large increase in milk production since 2010. They've increased more than 10%, which is the same as the U.S. And they are also seeing a really large overabundance of milk. But the president of Dairy Farmers of Canada said they're not backing off. They plan to continue their high dairy production as well. Sure. Yeah, they don't want to uh, give up any part of their uh, their dairy industry to American mm-hmm. producers, you know. Well, let's see. I've only got one other piece of news before we take a look at the really depressing markets today. Mm. And um, to, do, to get this news, I want to go back to Brazil, Delaney. That we've been talking, of course, for, well, really since we started this podcast about the corruption allegations, whether it's related to, to meat or bribery of officials and so on. It's really been a soap opera down there, hasn't it? Mm-hmm, it has. But today, or I guess over the weekend, it got even more soap opera-y. Um, we've talked a lot about the Batista brothers, the uh, billionaires who own JNF Investimentos, which owns JBSSA, you know, one of the world's largest meat packers. Well, Josely uh, Batista, who was former chairman and CEO, fled the company, fled the country, fled Brazil, came to America, and uh, had an interview yesterday with a Brazilian newspaper called Ipoca. And in this interview, Batista said that, uh, quote, Tamer, Michel Tamer, the president of Brazil, is the leader of a lower house criminal organization. Those who are not under arrest are in the government and they're very dangerous. Basically, he said that Batista, or excuse me, Tamer has been asking for money several times in recent years, and he was the leader of a group of politicians regularly demanding kickbacks in exchange for political favors. Now, that's interesting. So today, Michel Tamer, the president of Brazil, came out and said he will take all appropriate actions against Josely Batista. He is going to file civil and criminal charges against him. And he said that uh, Josely Batista is Brazil's, is Brazil's most successful criminal ever. So this is really starting to heat up down there. And this is the week that's big for both of them. This week, Brazil's Supreme Court is going to review the plea agreement that uh, Josely and Wesley Batista signed to escape prosecution, basically paying the fine instead of going to jail. 
And this is also the week that uh, Batista, excuse me, that Tamer, I'm getting these all confused. So that this is also the week that uh, Tamer's corruption investigation is going to continue. So it's going to be interesting. We'll probably continue having news come out of Brazil. Well, Mike, we'll have to continue following that story as that unfolds, the plea deal. Yeah, yeah, we're going to follow that. We'll see whether or not any charges are actually filed against Josely Batista for calling the president a, uh, a criminal. It all sounds just corrupt and awful. I feel sorry for the people of Brazil that right. have to deal with that. Yep, that's the truth. They thought they were getting some change. So did the business community. And, you know, who knows how it's all going to shake out here when this thing is done. Well, Mike, should we take a look at these markets today? Yeah, we will. We'll take a look right now at the closing prices, and uh, then afterwards we will talk to our good friend Angie Setzer and try to get a handle on exactly what happened. Uh, so as we take a look at the corn market to begin with, we had above analyst expectations corn export inspections this morning, and yet July corn for the day dropped eight and three quarter cents to close at three seventy five and a quarter. New crop December corn also down eight and three quarters, closed at nine. Excuse me, three ninety three and a quarter. In soybeans, the July bean contract dropped one and a quarter cents to finish at nine thirty seven and three quarters. November beans dropped one and a half to finish at nine forty eight and a half. In wheat, the Chicago wheat July contract climbed one and three quarter cents, closed at four sixty seven even. December wheat up a penny to finish at five oh three and three quarters. As we take a look over at the world of livestock, it was not much prettier. August live cattle dropped two dollars seven and a half cents to close at one sixteen ten. The October live cattle contract dropped a dollar sixty five to finish at one thirteen seventy. In feeder cattle, August feeders dropped two eighty seven and a half to finish at one forty five even. September feeders also down two eighty seven and a half, closed at one forty four forty seven and a half. Hogs, a little bit brighter picture. The July lean hog contract climbed a buck fifty seven and a half, closed at eighty three ninety. August lean hogs up two thirty five, closed at eighty one. 47 and a half. In the world of dairy, July class three milk futures dropped 17 cents to finish at 16.24. There's a look at the markets. Now let's take a turn to Angie Setzer and get her thoughts on exactly where are we going to go through the rest of this week. Okay, folks, as promised, here is our good friend Angie Setzer. She's on Twitter at Goddess of Grain. And Angie, we were greeted this morning by some green on in the grains we were graded by above analyst expectations export inspections on corn and on wheat and we finished the day with both old and new crop down eight and three quarter cents in the corn market what happened yeah well i think it's a little bit of a hangover um from some of that information we got on friday there everyone was anticipating or we've been hearing this big story about when the funds cover their short you know oh god when the the funds cover their short, it's going to be explosive, and it really was kind of not. I mean, uh, we've seen a solid rally there, but we got that information on Friday, and everyone was kind of like, oh, well, that's cool. So we're pretty well even there, and I think that caught some folks off guard. And then the weather forecast, of course, looks like it's going to be conducive to, to relatively decent crop uh, growth here in the next 6 to 10 uh, 11 to 15 days, and we had reasonable rainfall fall in the areas that needed it this past weekend. So, you know, in the market's mind, they always try to think that the, you know, knee high by the 4th of July, and there's some areas that'll see that, of course, but, um, you know, the last couple of years, we've gotten used to basically being into pollination by 
uh, the second week of, of July. And, and throughout much of the areas that I've traveled so far, you know, here in, in uh, most of Iowa and in the, in the Minnesota, throughout Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, you know, everywhere that they've um, had to do replants and, and planted, you know, Memorial Day weekend, we're a good three, four, in some areas, maybe even five weeks away from pollination. So the, the market, I don't think, is accustomed to having such a long, drug-out weather market type setup. And so a lot of folks are thinking, oh, if the 11 to 15 day forecast looks good right now, then we're good, which is, is actually kind of far from the truth at this point. Well, now you said something interesting there. You talked about the funds. So they're basically even, they've pretty well covered all their shorts. Yes, exactly. To a giant yawn, right? I mean, everyone had anticipated that we were going to see this big explosive. And and we saw this happen last fall in wheat. Um, and not a lot of folks remember where everyone's, oh, it's a record short wheat, oh, it's this, it's that, it's, you know. And all of a sudden we got into the Commitment of Traders report and discovered that uh, quietly we had seen the, the short covering take place in the face of farmer selling. And I think that's what you saw a lot of, have, you know, happen these last couple weeks is that um, the, the speculators may have been buying on the, the weather concerns, but the farmers had a lot to sell. So, um you know, I think overall it, it kind of created, we saw some increase in open interest, so we obviously saw some new buying come in. But in the whole scope of things, I think it kind of created a, a real significant move to nowhere. Angie, what so about speak, so. in, Angie? What about President Trump's announcement on Friday um, in regards to trade and travel to Cuba? Do you think that took a toll on the grain markets? You know, it, it, in this market setup, it's anything's possible because everyone is so darn negative to everything. So it, it is possible that people could take a look at it. You know, I find it funny because the announcement of opening trade and travel to Cuba was thought to be some, somewhat of a, a beige sort of topic when it came mm-hmm. to, to agricultural exports. You know, at, at first, no one really, or when it was announced, no one really reacted that it would be, be this significant shift in, in uh, um, export markets growth for corner wheat, um, but when you're in a, a market set up as bearish as this one, anyone will take a look at anything and say that it could be a, a reason to sell, and that's where we're at right now. I mean, we're, we're still, no matter how much we want to fight it, we are still in a, a market set up that's, that's bearish to commodities as a whole, and until you know, folks out there see a reason to come in, you know, i.e., look at what spring wheat's doing, I mean, obviously, that's, that's changed up an, an entire market structures, uh, three market structures, because you've seen spring, uh, Kansas City, and Chicago all get a, a nice kick in the pants from it. But um, it, the overall market structure right now is one that people think we have more than enough corn available. And, and uh, um, so any sort of reason to sell is, is one that they'll, they'll use. So watching this rally deflate, and, and I use rally in square scare quotes, are we is 450 out of the cards for uh, for new crop corn? I mean, are we now looking at possibly the potential of seeing that 421 come into the cards on the board? Or is there still, would, are you still enough optimistic that maybe we could make a run at, at 450 at some point? In, it's you know, all in the near going term. to hinge on our, yeah, it's, it's all going to hinge on our dear friends at the USDA, I think, when it comes down to it. Um, and that's, that's the thing for me right now is, is I've been a big proponent of seeing the market run up the way it traded a year ago. That we would see it try to, to test that 450 mark again on the December, and, and life, would, as we knew it, would be 
would be sunshine and rainbows for a lot of folks. But now here we sit, it's, it's uh, you know, last half June. Um, the crop does look reasonable, reasonably well. Yeah, we've had had a poor start in a lot of areas. There's some flooded out areas. There's some variability. I mean, it, I don't I don't think we're going to, to produce a, a record crop by any means. But really, unless the USDA comes in and reduces acres by a million or two acres at the end of the month or comes up with some sort of quarterly stock surprise, um, you know, I, I think 4, 420 uh, to, to 430 may be the high side if, if we're lucky i think we've got to test that 410 mark first on the december before we can count our chickens and and so when it comes down to it the the further into the the month that we get or the closer to the june 30th report that we get if we do get a pop in price here and and see a repeat of of last week where we were down hard on monday only to kind of claw our way back through the end of the week i don't think it hurts to to try and take advantage of some of these upsides now i think your downside risk is somewhat limited until we make it into pollination but um, without something big from the USDA, June 30th, I, I struggle to see why you know, we would test that 450 unless, like I said, we saw a significant weather issue develop around uh, what turns out to be pollination or with the way this crop is, is late in, in growth or, or delayed somewhat, you know, so to speak. September, late September weather could come into play, but that's a long way from now. That's a long way from now, and there's going to be some awkward <laughs> meetings with bankers before we get to that point. That is your Hail Mary. That is your, you know, that's uh, that's Ohio State beating Michigan last year, last <laughs> fall. You know what I mean? Where it, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen, and all of a sudden they pull it out kind of deal, and then someone else might be sad like I was, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not something you want to sit and wait for. If that's, that's not a marketing strategy, that's hope, unfortunately. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, we could be hard-pressed if, if we don't see anything. And the private estimates that have come out, you know, aren't necessarily leaning towards a big shift in corn acres lower, but um, we have been surprised before. Angie, let's take a look here at the soybean market. What have you been seeing in your travels across Iowa and Minnesota, you were in Wisconsin this weekend. What have you been seeing in the beans? Oh, I mean, the beans are, it's, they're behind, I guess you could say. I mean, they're, you're, you're seeing fields that are, are just emerging. I mean, they look good. I, I wouldn't say that they don't look good at all, um, but it's, it's way delayed compared to where we were before. I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to say we saw fields more than a handful of fields with the roads filled. Now, granted, it's only the end of June, and that's, there's a long way to go on beans. You know, the, the August weather is really going to matter. But right now, I would say production-wise, they, they look decent as long as they get a, a continue to get the rain that they've been seeing and the heat that they've been, been getting. They seem to, to be looking good. I mean, in, in my section of the world there in Iowa, um, I will admit that I I was wrong. Going into that really hot weekend, I thought for sure you'd start to see them struggle, and I'd say the heat actually helped them, um, you know, and you get a little bit of that rain to break up that crust that they've been dealing with, and I, I think they may be able to take off. Um, but we're a long way, you know, if I can say we're a long way from knowing what the corn crop potential is going to be with pollination, we're even longer from knowing what the, the bean crop potential is looking like. But I would say so far so good on the travels. They, they look pretty solid. Do you think 9-12 is where we're going to see that bottom end for beans? We saw that there at the beginning of June. Do you think that's the lowest point we're going to see, or what do you expect for the soybean market? 
So as we head into the summer, yeah, I think that I think we're going to be range bound. I think that the the downside risk until the crop is made is, is somewhat limited, unless of course we get a surprise from the USDA on the 30th, and and that's the struggle that I have going into any of these quarterly stocks or acreage reports is that, um, you know, I've been been hit upside the head with USDA surprises one too many times to get cocky going into them thinking I know what the USDA is going to say, um, and. So overall, I, I think the support's still there because we've seen exports continue, even in the face of, of record exports out of Brazil. Our exports have remained, and, and so far are are over 100 million bushel higher than what the current USDA projections are. We've got to continue to see shipments remain reasonably strong, of course, as well, in, in order to avoid rumors of cancellations or rolling forward. But in the short term, I don't see. Um, you know, it's like unless we see something from the USDA or see a surprise chunk of cancellations come out, I, I think we've got our downside risk somewhat established. But I, I think guys should be sellers of 950, and uh, if they can get it, 975 November beans if they need to catch up on any any additional sales. Yeah, 975. You know, that's it's sad that that's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> right. That's what we spent much of the winter in, in that. You know, 975, 983. I think it was the low end to, to 1040, 1030-something on the, the November board. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a bummer, but um, at the same time, it's on the higher end versus what we could potentially see if we do uh, produce another, you know, 48 bushels to the acre crop. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I have any clue what the either corner beans are going to yield because we're a long way from, from having them in the bin. But, you know, you always got to assume in soybeans, you don't tend to see a significant increase in, in yield um, depending on the year, and you really don't tend to see a significant loss in yield. I mean, even in 2012, we were 42 bushels to the acres. So, um, you know, if we see an increase in acreage or anything like that and, and get some reasonable August weather, we're going to probably produce a pretty pretty hellacious crop, and, and but that idea alone is probably going to cap that, that upside. And, of course, if we get back up into old highs, we'll want to, just about sell sell what we have and and take we always want to take a look at next year too if we get back up into that 975 range so, yeah because um, we're going to be swimming in beans you know, for a while yeah that's i mean take a look at uh wheat after the 2007-8 run-up for corn after 2012 i mean commodities run in cycles and and uh you go from running out of something and, and creating a, a really large price incentive to grow them, and, and suddenly we've got a lot of supply. And well, that's where we're probably going to head and be. While we're talking about running out of stuff, spring wheat, today we saw, I think, the first pullback yeah. in, well, it seems like quite a little while. It wasn't a 10 cent to the upside move. Spring wheat, Minneapolis yeah. dropped back, what, three and a quarter, something like that on the nearby. So are, are yeah. we... Are we getting close to the top end on this market, or is there still room to run for uh, for spring wheat? And then, of course, you know, Chicago, KC, will they follow yeah. along? Yeah. Well, this thing, spring wheat, there's always room to run, I think. And, and uh, you know, we're still trying to wrap our mind around the protein situation coming out of the Southern Plains. So the last couple of years, we've had some protein issues coming out of the Southern Plains, and the spring wheat market's been able to step in and kind of say, hey, we got you. It's cool. We, you know, we can can help out with some of this protein situation here in the global market. And, you know, the one thing that we've got going on in, in wheat overall 
is that, you know, Australia is still struggling with some real significant dryness and drought conditions happening. Europe's getting hot and dry in, in some places, and the Black Sea region struggling as well. So not to mention the, the Canadian acreage could be down as much as 5 to 10% um, out, out west in, in their springweed area. So there's a lot of story left to digest. Um, and we did see some active outside buying interest come into play with the drought monitors starting to show, you know, flashing the, the drought conditions there in the, the Dakotas and the and the Montana and western Minnesota. Um, we did get some rain last week, but a lot of folks are saying that that is, uh, you know, too little, too late kind of deal for the spring wheat crop. I and mean, there's reports out there of, of uh, spring wheat ankle high that's starting to head out. I mean, there's not much you can do with wheat that, that's done that already. Um, so I, I think that there's a long way um, to go before we even have a whole, our, our minds wrapped around what could happen in that spring wheat um, with the spring wheat issues. And there's a lot of talk of the, you know, the lowest crop conditions in seven, uh, the 2008 crop year, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, 07, 08, everyone remembers that crop year because that was when we saw $20 spring wheat. So yeah. I'm not saying we'll see that again by any means, um, you know, but we will probably see, you know, at least strength, if not a, a continuation of the run-up in price, especially since everyone in this new updated happy corn forecast, everyone but the Dakotas are expected to get rain. So, um, you know, I think that we probably see some continuation of, of Crop struggles. We are probably going to wrap our minds around the whole global market setup in wheat. And, and so I always laugh when people say, oh, we're a wash in wheat worldwide. Well, no, if you take China out of the, the, the numbers, um, you know, China has 48% of the world's wheat. So you take that away, and suddenly you know, we're pretty darn tight globally. Now, I, I know I, I will argue, or, you know, Carl and I have, have had strong discussions about what you can do with Chinese numbers. But, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say that we're awash in wheat, but the Chinese wheat will not make it into the market, the global market. And that's something to kind of keep in mind and, and something that I think will keep all wheat markets supported um, as we move ahead and, and uh, get into where we're wrapping up harvest and, and uh, on this side and, and getting started into the spring wheat side and and, you know, going into to dormancy in the southern hemisphere. Now, Angie, let's uh, take it to the cattle market. I would call what we've been going through the last month and a half here since early May. I mean, it really looks like a roller coaster when you look at the chart, up and then down yeah. again. And we're now on this downward spiral. Are we? Are you expecting to continue this roller coaster ride of up and down, or do you think we're going to bottom out? Where do you think the cattle market is headed? Oh, I think we I, – I call it uh, – Intense volatility. Um, I can't use the other term I used for it. It's a four-letter <laughs> word that ends. There's two words. <laughs> the first one's four letters. The last word is so. Um, and that's about what cattle is and will continue to be, I think. Um, so I think all protein markets will, will be that way. Um, cash cattle, you've you, seen some, some remaining strength there. Um, you have this overall idea, of course, that uh, – um, cattle have to weaken. I mean, eventually they have to weaken, right? So you have this real interesting dichotomy of, wait a minute, cash is showing this, but then on the backside you have people saying, but cash will show this next week. You know, so we keep thinking that we're going to run out of this demand or, or suddenly 
um, touch into this supply that we didn't know was there. Now, there there have been some concerns or some thoughts that you would see some um, Dakota cattle moving their way into the, the pipeline perhaps a little earlier because of the, the conditions that are going on up there and, and other things, you know, that are shaping up out there. But from a, a cash standpoint, we really haven't seen, you know, market really back off too far. But we also haven't seen the aggression that we were seeing a month ago. Um, we've still got to see how the Chinese story plays out. You know, that's always a great thing, but they, it, the first load's got to make its way through customs and, and show us that they're interested in, in working with us. And, of course, only a small amount of the, the U.S. herds can qualify um, to, to be exported into China. But it's still demand. I mean, demand's demand. Um, until we see the retail side of things kind of back away, um, you know, I don't see why the, the cash prices would fall too far out of bed, and, and that's what's going to keep us firm. Um, you know, I think we would probably uh, put in the, the top end, but we're also probably going to find our support here pretty soon, and, and we'll probably oscillate uh, pretty aggressively between the two, is, is my opinion on cattle here for probably the next few months. Well, Angie, always a pleasure to chat with you. And next time, we'll have to pick your brains about the hog market. Oh, I look forward to it. I am a <laughs> consumer of bacon. That's about mm-hmm, always like, the first time someone asks me that. What's your opinion on the hog market? And like, bacon's like gas. I always, I don't even look at the price. I just buy it. <laughs> so that's very inelastic demand care. for bacon in the sets. That's exactly that's exactly it. That we need it, we're gonna buy it. So. But thank you for having me. I always enjoy it. All right. Angie Setzer, thanks so much once again for taking the time to talk to us, for filling us in. So much to talk about in the markets when we're in this transition period from way oversold to, oh, flat to, boy, when's Mm -hmm. this thing going to rally? You know, Delaney? Yeah, I know. Definitely. Really, all the markets are kind of in that pattern right now. Yeah. Yeah, cattle just keep, it's like, oh, cattle fell out of bed today, and then the next day they're even lower. It's like, well, they fell off the floor today, and then tomorrow they're going to be in the basement. I mean, it's at some point, they've got to be out of things to fall off of. It really does look like a roller coaster ride, too, if you look at the chart. Yeah, yeah, the scary thing, the more recent chart just looks like that first drop on the roller coaster. Well, yeah. Just, you know, think you're going to hit the ground a thousand miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, let's see. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to our good friend Steve Hilker from Hilker Trucking about electronic logging. And uh, and then we're just flying by the seat of our pants, aren't we, Delaney? Well, yeah, we've we've sent some emails out and about to talk to a few people. We never really fly by the seat of our pants. No, that's true. That's true. Very responsible, very mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's boring. Don't say that. Okay. Well, folks, uh, hopefully, maybe by the end of this week, we'll have some exciting news to announce, but uh, we, we won't get into it yet. In the meantime, I think we'd encourage all of you to check out our website at agnewsdaily.com. Check us out on Twitter and on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. And uh, anything else you can think of, Delaney? Yeah, actually, I do have a few quick 
announcements or updates. Next week, we will be at the Farm Her Conference in Des Moines. That's downtown Des Moines, Monday through Wednesday, I think, if I remember correctly. I believe you are correct. And the Farm Her Conference is sold out. So if you want yes, to pay is. attention to what's happening to the proceedings, if you were not able to get registered for this year's, uh, be sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking to uh, the speakers and attendees and, and uh, covering it. Yeah, that's right. And then also next week, the CME crop report comes out on Friday, and I will be covering that from Chicago. So next week, we have a lot of exciting things covering coming up. So with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.